Ever waddle to the bathroom after sex? Towel between your legs? Desperately trying to keep the freshly delivered load from dripping down your leg and onto your hardwood? Well, worry no more. Awkward Essentials introduces the drip stick, or as I like to call it, the cum sponge. This medical grade sponge sucks up jizz before it sneaks onto your sheets. Visit awkwardessentials.com today and use my code WYP for a 10% discount. They offer numerous products for all types of fun fluids. Keep your shorts semen free and use my code today. That's WYP and save 10%. Awkward Essentials, making bodily fluids less awkward. Your Physician podcast may contain adult themes, sexual discussions, and strong language. We want everyone to be educated, but we are intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. On today's episode, we talk about sex and disability with Brittany. Welcome, fellow humans, to our Full Frontal with Brittany, who is joining us all the way from, help me? Riverdale, Utah. Riverdale, Utah. Hey, did you know I was born in Provo, Utah? Did I ever tell you that? You did. I think that's amazing and such a weird coincidence. (laughs) Riverdale, Utah. Thank you, Brittany. So we had a wonderful guest, Cami Orange, who came on and talked about boundaries with us. And she was so kind and generous that she gave me the names of three of her friends that she thought would be a wonderful fit for our podcast. And Brittany was one of them. And I texted her and immediately she responded and said that she would absolutely be happy to come on and talk about her experience with disability and sex, um, which I think is a really important topic. I've actually had quite a few listeners. Um, I always ask at the end of the show if anybody has any ideas or if anybody wants me to talk about anything specific. Uh, We did an ADHD episode because I had like three uh, three, three listeners ask me about an ADHD episode. Um, I've had a couple of people ask me about autism and sex, so I'm probably going to do that this season. Um, But I've had quite a few people ask me to talk about physical disability and sex, and rightfully so. Um, It's not really talked about in any scope of any sexual class, any human sexuality class, any medical class. Um, It's not talked about in high school, and I think it's probably one of the largest voids in our um, sexual education discussions. So we have an expert here with us, someone who A, has sex, 
and B has a disability. And we're going to get her perspective on both of those things. We're going to talk to Brittany today about spina bifida, and we're going to talk a little bit about the ins and outs of spina bifida and what that entails. We are also going to break some myths about individuals with physical disabilities and their sex lives. And then we're going to talk about some wonderful, helpful tips and tools, some sex positions and some sex toys that can help aid in pleasure and sexuality for those who have a physical disability. Now, Brittany, before I continue in this episode and make an absolute asshole of myself, am I saying <laughs> it right? People with a disability or someone who has a disability, what is the um, correct and most appropriate and most preferred way to say that for you? I use disabled person. I think that is a-okay to do. Um, you can say persons with disability. I think it kind of just depends on the person and how they feel, but I, I... I'm more in a place of like owning. Yeah, I'm a disabled person. Mm-hmm. Like okay. the world. Okay. The it, it's the world that's made it's disabling me. <laughs> like right. it's not accommodating right. me. So I'm a disabled person. So right. you have you have things in the world that you are unable to do because of societal the way that society exists and the way that the world exists. You are not able to do things. Therefore, you are a disabled person. Yes. That makes sense, actually. Grammatically, that makes way more sense. Okay, I'm going to do my best to use that phrasing throughout the rest of the show. I wanted to (laughs) break it down a little bit about kind of what we're going to talk about and do a little quick, fast monologue. Disability and sex are seldom mentioned in the same sentence. Um, As a disabled person, you can often be viewed as asexual or someone who just doesn't want to have sex and then completely left out of the conversation when it comes to sex and intimacy. People living with disabilities are frequently denied fundamental elements of well-being. Those can can encompass visibility, agency, dignity, consent, and pleasure. The cultural denial of sexuality in disabled people is another feature of their dehumanization. Many people living with disabilities masturbate, experience sexual attraction, and engage in sexual activity, much like individuals without a disability. But these facts do not align with stereotypes of disabled people that those living without disability confuse for reality. And lack of understanding about disabilities in general can have severe consequences for both the mental health and the physical health of the disabled person and also for the general population. So when we begin to make assumptions and make ideas up about people with disabilities and we start to just put them in boxes of, oh, they don't want to have sex, we will now share, we will now have more individuals with disabilities who have STIs, who don't know how to have safe sex, who don't know how to have pleasurable sex, who experience mental health deficits because of the lack of pleasure in their life. We also have medical practitioners who maybe don't know how to discuss sexual behaviors with their disabled patients. Um, We don't have therapists who can discuss this. And then we don't have the alternative methods of having sex for people whose disabilities maybe reduce their functioning um, in their genitals, reduce their functioning in their limbs, or reduce their functioning in their face or their mouth. And we need to be able to have an all-encompassing holistic view of sex and sexuality for all persons, disabled or not. 
in this episode, we really are going to stick to physical disabilities, not cognitive or mental disabilities. So I want to make sure the audience is completely aware of that. And I also want to give a baby, tiny, little itsy bitsy trigger warning because we are going to be talking about physical disabilities and sex in regard to physical disabilities. So if anyone has um, any sort of issue or um, trauma surrounding physical disabilities, maybe this isn't the episode for you or maybe the fuck it is. Yeah. Mm hmm. The very first thing I want to do, and I don't normally do this so quickly, <laughs> I don't normally come this fast, uh, but the first thing I'm going to do in this episode is my statistic of the day. So... When it comes to disabled persons, 15% of the global population experience some form of physical disability. 15% of the global population. What percentage of the population in the United States has a physical disability? And bonus question, what region of the country do the majority of those individuals live? Oh, wow. So 15% of the global population has a physical disability. What percentage of the United States population? I'm going to give you a hint. The United States sucks at most things. So just because <laughs> the number is 15% globally does not necessarily <clears throat> indicate anything about the United States number. So what percentage of the U.S. population has a physical disability and what region do the majority of them reside in? And the very first person who has to go, unfortunately, Brittany, is you. It's me? Yes. Yep. <sighs> oh, my God. I don't even know. Um, okay. So first of all, the first question is what percentage of the people in the country are disabled? Yep. Yes. I'm going to say, ooh, first number that pops into my head is 24. Okay, 24. And what region of the country do the majority of those individuals, or what, what region has the highest number of people living with a disability? Mm. This is like Northwest, South, Southwest, East, East, West, Southeast. Like, Let's go... Oh, God. Uh, West Coast. Okay. Yeah. I have no idea. That, I, I, don't know. I just pulled that one out. You're doing great, sweetie. <laughs> I'm doing great, sweetie. <laughs> Husband Kevin Weller? I'm just going to, because our healthcare system is atrocious, I'm going <laughs> to, you know, 24% sounds pretty good, but I'm going to go in between and I'm just say 20. Okay. And I'm going to say the Midwest. Okay. Okay, so I don't tell you the answer, by the way. You don't get to know it. <laughs> oh, what the hell? <laughs> I know, it's the buildup throughout it's the end. It's brutal. It's how I get people hooked at the beginning, and then I make them stay <laughs> until the end. So don't worry. I have a note written at the end not to forget, but I will tell you before the episode's over. I promise. <laughs> couple statistics other than that one in regard to physical disability. Um, 
13% of the United States adults have a mobility disability, meaning they have difficulty climbing or walking upstairs. 10% of U.S. adults have a cognitive disability um, with serious difficulty concentrating, remembering, or making decisions. 7% have an independent living disability, meaning they cannot do errands on their own. 6% of adults are deaf or have serious difficulty hearing. Four and a half percent have a vision or blindness disability, and four percent have a self-care disability, meaning they have difficulty dressing or bathing. So there's just some numbers for individuals to kind of hear to, to sort of understand the scope with which we live in in this country um, for individuals who do suffer from a disability. Would I am I being rude by saying suffering from a disability is it a suffering thing are you suffering? oh it's a suffering it's a daily suffering i would not say that's rude or far off at all okay good <laughs> and, it, and it's good that you say that because i mean that gives people an idea of you know um you know where you're at with this and what other people go through you know and and i think sometimes um we are very ageist sexist and very, a lot of, there's a lot of yeah isms and stuff like that mm -hmm. throughout the country. And I think mm -hmm. the only way for people to really understand and, you know, for it to get better is for people to, to know about it. Yeah, to hear, to like, hear it firsthand. Out of sight, out of mind, ignorance is bliss. And they just go about their day, you know. And, Absolutely. And I think sometimes when you bring yeah. attention to that, um, people start, it, it, you know, it clicks. And people are like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to be better about this because I am going to try to sympathize and in some cases empathize. Yeah. And it, it you know, it, the problem with our country and being, being highly susceptible to ableism, you know, the, the grocery stores we go to the, the, I mean, give me some examples, Brittany, of how on a daily basis you're confronted with ableism in your life where you have to do things where you're like, this would be a lot fucking easier if it was X, Y, or Z. Can you repeat that one time? I had to roll up my window because someone is weed eating outside. Nice. Sorry. <laughs> we, love, we love a gardener on a Sunday. Can you give us some examples of like mundane things in your everyday life that you wish were easier because because of ableism, because people don't necessarily think, oh, a person with a disability has difficulty opening a pickle jar. Like, is there anything in your daily life yeah. that you feel could be made easier if someone would just pay the fuck attention? Oh, my God. Okay, this might be hard for everyone. I have no idea. I always ask people, like, on a scale of one to ten, how hard is this task for you? Because oh. I like to gauge wow. <laughs> with people, like, how, how hard is this for an able-bodied person? But I just made a TikTok the other day about putting sheets on my bed. Okay. Like, that's a difficult task. I, I FYI. <laughs> a okay. Task. I hate doing that. So. I feel like that one should be a lot more fucking easier than it is. <laughs> yeah, but other than that, like, just just switching the laundry from washer to dryer is hard mm. for me. Um, that task takes a lot out of me. I almost have to have like a third place that I put my laundry because of the, the standing and the bending, the reaching in and, and the putting in. And it's, you, that's a hard task for me. Do you have a top load washer and like a side load dryer? 
Yep. And you have to like <laughs> sure do. Out, reach in and then pull it up and out and then down to the side. Uh, yep. And those things aren't cheap. So I use the one that my house came with. <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Like, you're not going to go out and buy a fucking different washer and dryer just to fucking make, give yourself 30 extra more seconds. But the fact that you have to yeah. go from washer to basket and then basket to dryer. And like, yeah. you have, like you said, you have to have a third location for your laundry to exist in between shifting. That's fucking, yeah. that's a perfect example. Thank you. I and, appreciate yeah. that. I think the conversation I think uh, the conversation surrounding disability is one that is strife with fear. Like, I think that a lot of able-bodied people are very scared to have a conversation with a disabled person. Um, A, because it makes them feel fucking guilty that they're able-bodied and this person is not. And B, because they don't want to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong question or assume something that shouldn't like assume that you need me to hold the door open for you. So as like a random example, when you are fully capable of doing that by your fucking self. So I'm going to get into my tip of the day. It is absolutely normal and human to be curious about other humans, whether disabled or able-bodied. When you see somebody walking down the street and you're like, wow, she has purple hair. (laughs) Why does she have purple hair? That's amazing. Um, Or you see, wow, that person's really short. I wonder if both of their parents were jockeys. My grandfather, great-grandfather was a horse jockey. I'm very tiny, by the way. (laughs) So (laughs) it's very normal for people to look at me and be like, you're very small. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yes, I am. If you are an individual who has not experienced a specific type of disability, that curiosity may be larger. Disability is complex and it varies from person to person. So one person with spina bifida is going to have a completely different experience than another person with spina bifida. Same with multiple sclerosis, same with blindness and deafness. It's tough to understand, but one of the best ways we can understand is to learn. And one of the only ways to learn is to ask the source. However, when you ask a question of a disabled person, there are some tips that came from a disabled individual. um, And she mentioned that there are some things you need to be aware of when discussing your disability. So Brittany, will you help me kind of expand on these tips and tell me if you think that they're valid and valuable? Yeah, absolutely. Consider why you're asking the question. People with visible disabilities are no stranger to receiving unsolicited questions about their condition. Is your disability visible? Like you you use a wheelchair, but you do you use the wheelchair 24 hours a day? Um, no, I don't use it 24 hours a day, but my... Um, my disability is very visible because I waddle. <laughs> I limp pretty okay. bad okay. Um, when I'm walking. And I, I do use a cane when I'm not using my wheelchair. So is one, it is pretty. Is one side of your body longer or taller than the other? Is that why? Um, I have kind of, um, but I have nerve damage in my legs um, from having 27 surgeries on my back. That'll do so, it. So, yeah, it'll do it. Um 
so they injured nerves from my hip down on one side and my knee down on the other. And so I have to like watch myself walk and my gait is a little swayed with how I, how I walk a little, it's a lot. I, I identify <laughs> penguins. <laughs> like I'm a penguin. I waddle like one. Um, so yeah, it is. My disability is very visible. <laughs> so before you ask someone a question about their disability, consider the following. Let me know how you feel about each of these. What are my intentions behind this question? What is yeah. my relationship with this person? Are they a stranger or a close friend? Could this question be uncomfortable or embarrassing? And do I need to ask this question? Yeah. From your personal experience, have you ever been in the public at Starbucks or at a fucking grocery store or out at a restaurant and have you had a complete stranger come up to you and ask you about your fucking disability? I haven't ever had an adult come up and ask me. Good. I have had children ask me, which is okay sure. to me. Yeah. I yeah. think, um, curious. totally so curious. They don't understand <laughs> yeah. norms. Like they're little snot rags. They don't get it. Right. But, and I, I guess more what I've had in public, um, with adult interactions are adults staring at me. Right. They, they don't ask, they just stare. And would you rather but, they ask? Yeah, I would rather they ask like, what, what um, is a good because, way to put that? Not like what happened to you or what, why are you in that wheelchair? What's a good way for an individual who is curious about your disability to come up to you and say, hi, I was wondering. Yeah. Um, like, hi, I just, I am very curious. Um, or if you don't mind me asking, what what is your ailment? What 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 do you struggle with? Um, something like along those lines, like not like what what's wrong with you? Right? <laughs> Why yeah. are you limping? And there's so many different ways that. You, Why do you walk like a penguin? There's so many different ways you can approach <laughs> this, right? They they can either approach it and just walk up and stay blurt it out, or they can just walk up to you and start small talk, right? Right. And just right. chat and then roundabout get to that question i notice you i notice you're using a cane would you mind telling me what ailment you suffer from that causes you to use this cane i i work in the obstetrict or, or uh orthostatic field or i have yeah. a mother who suffers from arthritis and i was wondering if you know you're it, it's also you're young Brittany. how old are you I just turned 32. Okay. So using a cane in a wheelchair, you're also teeny. Like the yes. guests see you, but you're a tiny little human. And so for someone who's small to use a wheelchair, someone who's young to use a cane, I would imagine it has, it makes people ask a lot of questions. Like, why is this young person in pain? Why is this young person, you know, condemned to a wheelchair like i want to know what is going on with this person just as human curiosity has it um but why are you asking this question right can you fix it <laughs> right what are you getting by asking this question like i thought a lot about this episode and i was like all right i'm gonna ask a lot of really fucking personal questions but i think it 
for the greater conversation and for the greater good of the listener, I want them to understand the scope of disability within sex. And so I felt like this was an okay conversation to have. Um, mm-hmm. But I probably would never have asked this question of anyone just sitting in a cafe, right? Right. The next one is ask the person before asking a question about their disability. So some people who have a disability are very open about answering answering questions. In fact, they encourage it because dialogue can foster education, which can foster more tolerance, uh, more acceptability, more understanding, more grace, um, and also create more legislation, hopefully, that creates a more, uh, you know, unified place for everyone to live and be able to be able-bodied. However, some people are not comfortable asking or answering questions at all. So as an outgoing person, do you feel like you want people to say, would it be okay if I asked you a question about your ailment or would you rather than ask the question straight out? Um, I don't mind either way. Um, Usually when people ask me that question, like, I just already know what's coming. Like, what's coming? <laughs> you know, when they're like, when they're like, can I ask you a question? I'm like, yes, it's spina bifida. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I usually am always. No, oh, go ahead. Ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My brain fucking fires. Off. It's okay. Go ahead. I, I was going to say that I just, I am already thinking about telling people about my disability because I see like people do look at me a certain way <laughs> and, sucks. and I just assume it's going to come up. But that sucks. Cause, cause like, what if someone was going to walk up to you and be like, where did you get that sweatshirt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you're like, it's spina bifida. And they're like, is that dot com org? <laughs> Yep, that's like spina. What? But like to already go through life assuming everyone just only wants to know you and know about you because of your disability, that's got to take a fucking mental toll. Yeah, um, it does. And the the follow up to that is the. Oh, well, they they assume that like oh i've had all these struggles and then they start feeling pity for me and that's the part that sucks about it is like the whole they're going to ask me about my disability and then oh you're so strong oh like you're so you brave. <laughs> yeah you're so young oh, i'm so sorry you're in a wheelchair uh like, and you're like things well, like you're that like, you you'd rather just be like well hey like just invite me for a drink or like let's hang out and let's yeah, talk. yeah. just be my friend yeah just like a normal yeah. interaction like, would happen where you know, you, you don't mind if somebody comes and asks you that, but then it's like, okay, well, I don't want your. It's almost like they're (laughs) self-serving. Like they feel they have to be altruistic by talking to someone with a disability. And you're like, you don't have to talk to me. Like, I'm fine. I have friends. (laughs) Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're not my only social interaction for the day, fucker. (laughs) (laughs) People will talk to me like I'm five years old in my wheelchair. Oh Oh, my God. Hi. Oh my God. (laughs) What? Ew. Yeah. Okay, that That's actually right. takes me to the third tip. Don't be weird. Yeah. Just don't be <laughs> fucking weird. Don't start don't talk louder. I don't know why people insist on raising their voices to people with mm-hmm. disabilities. Like not everyone with a disability is deaf. 
or hard of or hard of hearing. Like you don't need to slow your speech down or speak louder or crouch down or baby them or talk to them in a condescending tone. Um, don't speak to them like children. Don't touch their mobile or mobility aids without consent. Holy shit. Never. I could go on about that one. <laughs> please do. Expand. Please, I'm, I'm please expand. You, and I'm, I'm trying to help you when you don't, you feel like you don't need help. You're like, well, why are you doing Oh, that? God. Yeah. How often does that happen? How many times a week do you get help, I'm using air quotes, when you don't need it? Oh, when I go out in public, <laughs> it's so, almost every so day. every day. <laughs> yeah. how, how would somebody that wants to help say they, they see, you know, they, it looks like somebody's struggling. Is that something if somebody wanted to come and be, you know, nice or kind, is it something that would be best approached by, hey, do you need help before they actually just give you help, right? It would be probably better to if, approach it that way. If you wouldn't ask an able-bodied person to help them load something into their car, because I, I do appreciate it when people ask, do I need help putting my wheelchair in my car? If you wouldn't ask an able-bodied person that, then don't ask the disabled person that either fantastic treat treat Um, the same as any you treat anybody else because yeah and lived with this you know what the fuck you're doing like this isn't day one for you (laughs) yeah Yeah. i was so one time the story that sticks out to me right now is i was at uh the medical marijuana shop picking up my prescription (laughs) 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 and um this guy was checking out next to me and he was like lingering while I was checking out. And I went to leave and he grabbed my arm oh. and was like, I'm going to help you walk out to your car. And I just like shut down and I was just like, Oh no, thank you. Please don't touch me. I don't like to be touched. Yikes. Um, I don't like to be touched either by people. I don't know. What the- yeah. Nobody does. Nobody, nobody does. wants someone they don't know and you don't know like i have severe ptsd you have no idea how i'm going to react in this moment not touch me (laughs) and you wouldn't do that to a normal like no if you just saw something on the street you wouldn't or coming out no one's ever offered to carry my little brown bag to the car when i go to the medical marijuana shop like (laughs) what the fuck And first, and and then I'm also thinking like, please, I don't want you to know where I parked. I don't know you, guy. Like, yeah. <laughs> who are you? <laughs> Thank you for trying to be nice, but did not receive well. It's like it's almost as if able-bodied individuals are so concerned with, and I'm sure that some of them are have like well-being in mind and like want to be, you know, I. I am this person. Like if I see anyone struggling, any human being, I'm going to immediately, I think I've stopped at like seven car accidents in the last like three years just to be like, hello, how can I be a golden retriever and fix the situation for you? But also with the wherewithal that sometimes people don't want your help and sometimes they don't need your help. And if you say, do you need, we were just, we were just at the fucking grocery store the other day and a man had his hood up, which is the universal sign for I need help. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think yeah. the guy needs help. And Kevin was like, no, he doesn't. And I'm like, I'm going to ask. And he's like, you don't need to ask. I was like, I'm going to ask. And so <laughs> I rolled the window down. I was like, sir, excuse me, do you need help? And he was like, no. <laughs> was like, yeah. Okay, have a good day. <laughs> yeah. And and it's totally okay to ask someone if they need help, but to like be very 
yeah, like you said, have the wherewithal to know. Yeah. Like, hey, hey, do you need help or you got this? Like, like you said, it's not my first day. Mm -hmm. Um, I had once I was in the wheel in my wheelchair at the grocery store and I I have no idea why this man did this, but he walked up to me and he like pushed me closer to the oranges. And I was like, oh, I got it. And he was like, you know, you should raise your handlebars so people can push you if you need help. And I was like, well, they don't need help. So that's why they're down. (laughs) They're down. That's actually one of these tips. Don't give unsolicited advice or cures for our disabilities. (laughs) We're not not here for it. yeah cammy orange she told me like you should get some spikes like get those (laughs) that will keep people away from it and i seriously still need to do that like that is a physical boundary that she taught me and i was like strips on your handlebars don't fucking touch them well and i mean it's just like anybody else if i was in the grocery store and a guy came up and put his hand on my back to like go around me i'd be like bro what the fuck are you doing you (laughs) <laughs> Even if it was a girl, I would be like, I'd maybe for a it second be like, hey, actually, but. would be equivalent to like, I'm short, right? And there are things on shelves up above that I can't reach. So I always just step on shit and then get up and get them. It would be the mm-hmm. equivalent of someone coming up behind me, grabbing me by the waist, and lifting me up without asking if I wanted like, help. Get your fucking, get hand. your yep. fucking <laughs> hands off of me. I didn't ask. Everybody, you for help. everybody has a bubble. Yeah. And everybody's bubble is a little different, but everybody has a bubble. Like you please stay out of it mm-hmm. unless I invite you in. Last thing, yep. tip. Everybody's disability is their own and is unique to them. When you ask questions about someone's disability, remember to be considerate. Disabled people are people and they want to be treated like everyone else. And they may not want to answer your question and that needs to be okay. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Like sometimes you don't want, sometimes you just want to go into the gas station, get a candy bar and, and leave like without having to relive everything that you go through, like just 27 (laughs) surgeries. Yeah. Like, Oh my God. Any out business cards to people. I, I (laughs) have thought of that. I honestly have like, these, these are the things that I deal with. Go look them up. Like, right. <laughs> I don't Google have the time. Here you go. I'm yeah. a candy bar. I don't have time to explain spina bifida to you. Thank you. Yeah. And if someone is short with you about their disability, like that's like if, if someone read, were, if I weren't the in the room. mood. Yeah. Read the room. I if can't tell if you how many. Like, oh, what, what goes on with you? Spina bifida. There's your cue. Yeah, and then I'm you're done. Like, you know what? Uh, okay, um, I'm gonna go over here and Heard. stop talking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want, if you would not mind, um, giving us a little background about Brittany. Where did you grow up? Where were you born? What were your parents like? What was your early life, early childhood like? Um, when were you diagnosed with spina bifida? When did your journey um, with spina bifida begin? Um, please tell our our listeners a little bit about you. Okay. Um, yeah, this is the conversation at the grocery store you don't want to have. I'm just getting an orange, Ashley. <laughs> Can you not? <laughs> um, so I was born in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. 
And um, let's see. <laughs> My mom... So she noticed I had a big red birthmark across my back, like my lower back area. So this and is something they could detect in utero? So usually they can. I don't know if they had the technology at the time when I was born. I'm not very sure. I wish I could ask my mom about that now, but she is dead. So oh, I cannot. So you, you can't no. ask her. Yeah. Um, and... But I, I learned about this birthmark and concerned about a dimple that I had, like, right where your butt crack starts. Like, I had... Yeah. I know exactly really, what you're talking about. I actually have yeah. a birthmark there. Oddly enough, it's in the shape of an eagle. <laughs> and there was a dimple there. It's called a sacral dimple. And my mom said she could stick, like, the first knuckle of her pinky into this Holy dimple like, wow. it was a deep deep dimple um that's not a dimple. that's a back belly button yeah yeah wow. <laughs> exactly and um so she was concerned about it and i um i actually did walk pretty early i believe um but she just kept taking me to doctors and it was actually an intern that had said hey, this is a sign of spina bifida and tethered cord syndrome. And um, so they actually flew me out to Utah to get a diagnosis because um, the doctor, um, Dr. Walker, he is like one of the first doctors that I guess was doing the untetherings of the spinal cord and was really specialized in spina bifida. Um, he's at the primary children's hospital out here. So that's why you live in Utah because that's where you had all your surgeries and that's where Dr. Walker is. Right. And um, I do have family out here as well. It just so happened to be like Utah was the place. This is the place. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I had that was when I was 13 months old. Mm. So, um, I was diagnosed when I was 13 months old and they told my parents that I would have to learn how to rewalk or I would never walk again. Um, it would kind of goes either way. Cause essentially, um, what, what I personally deal with, with the spina bifida is the tethered spinal cord. So all of your nerves, they, your spinal cord is obviously up and down your back and your nerves lay out like roots from your spinal cord. Mm -hmm. But mine would get tangled up around my spinal cord and cause like a ball of nerves, basically. Like in one yeah. specific, like the upper, the lower, the middle or in the, on the entire cord itself. Um, for me, it was the lower and it actually, it would get tethered in one spot at a time and it was slowly moving up. Um, and, and you could, and you're 13 months old. You're not verbalizing the yeah. pain that you're in. So what, were you just crying a lot? Were you not walking? What were the signs that your parents noticed that made them? The only signs I was, I was a uh, pigeon footed and I, um, I had the birthmark and the dimple and my mom just knew something, something was up. Um, so you had that untethering uh, surgery when you were 13 months old? Yep. The first one I had was then. Wow. Um, and 
I had them frequently. Um, I wish that I had a better timeline to tell you, but again, I don't have my mom. You have to have them constantly. Like you can't just have one and done like that. You have to have them forever. Like you have to, your, your nerves are going to tether like a tether ball on a, on a tether ball net, like for constant for the rest of your life. So, um, a lot of people can have one and be done. Um, I'm a part of a, um, a tethered cord group on Facebook and a lot of people have the tiniest little scar and mine goes from my shoulder blades all the way down to my butt. And so I see a lot of people that have tiny little scars and have only had like one surgery. Um, and then they don't retether ever, but, um, the only other person I've seen, um, have, I mean, they haven't had 27. She's had 16, but that's the only other person I've ever seen have so many untetherings of her spinal cord. Oh my gosh. So there's um, really a degree. It's just yeah. case by case, right? Like some, some is more severe, some is less severe. Right. Yep. So spina bifida, um, there are three main types. Spina bifida occulta, Meningocele and mile. Oh my, mile. I can't say to you. There, I can't. What are these words, <laughs> Brittany? No idea. <laughs> Spina bifida occulta is the mildest and most common. It usually involves a minimal portion of the spine, usually shows no symptoms, and does not require treatment. When an infant is born with spina bifida occulta, the skin covers the deformity of the spinal bone. It literally means a hidden spot on the spine, and for most people, it remains hidden. It has been estimated that about has spina bifida occulta, but most don't know they have it. So that percentage is extremely like underreported for sure. Meningoacelli, that's, is that the one that you have? No, I have occulta. Okay. Rarely spina bifida occulta causes problems in childhood because the, the cord becomes fastened to the backbone. So during adolescence, during growth spurts, those nerves become stretched and the results can be difficulties such as weakness, numbness in the legs, bladder infections, incontinence. The more the spinal cord grows, the worse the symptoms become. Surgery to relieve these symptoms is simple and often successful. Is that your your (laughs) fucking experience, Brittany? No, that's not mine. Nope. But is that is that the case? Did you notice that during adolescence, when you have that growth spurt, did it get worse as you got older? Yeah. Um, my symptoms were I would fall a lot whenever I would retether, um, and I I do have bladder incontinence, um, and that your spine's that, connected to every part of your goddamn body. Yep. Um, and so now I use uh, straight catheters to go to the restroom. Oh, um, wait, so you're always catheter up? Always? So I don't have a catheter in like at like so straight catheters. You just insert, go to the bathroom, take it out. Oh, okay. um, gotcha. It's different from a Foley catheter, which yeah. I did have, but it caused lots of infection for yeah, me. They cause tons of bladder infections and yeast infections and kidney infections, and they're not fun yeah. to have constantly. And you're prone to infection when you have spina bifida occulta right. and those 
neurological issues. Um, and I am what a lot of kids with spina bifida have a latex allergy due to like um, early exposure in operating rooms. And huh. so I have a latex allergy too. Um, yeah. And um, so, and then some of my other symptoms were the pigeon footedness. Like I would, would start to turn in because during you're one compensating, of my- you're making it, so yeah. you're not in pain. So by turning your feet in, you're actually causing your spine to align in the way that feels the best for you, which makes total yeah. sense. You know, like anyone who's ever had an injury knows about overcompensating. And so they compensate one injury by overdoing it on the other side. Like you may start to walk with your feet like a ballerina, like um, out or your toes in. Like I do, I walk with my feet out because I have knee injuries and it feels better when my feet are turned outwards. <laughs> so yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Like you're just, you're just doing something that's a coping mechanism because you don't know what else to do when you're a kid and your back hurts. Yep. And after one of my surgeries, it was really interesting. Cause I, w- I went in pigeon footed and came out duck footed. Nah. And so now, now I walk, like you said, like a ballerina. <laughs> yeah, not a penguin, Brittany, a ballerina. <laughs> a ballerina. It's lovely. There you go. Spina bifida uh, menagocele, men- men- I suck, I'm sorry for all the individuals, um, is the least common type. Um, this is when the membrane surrounds the spinal cord. It protrudes through the opening and causes a lump on the back. Um it can be repaired through surgery with little or no nerve damage. It is performed anytime during infancy. Um, the child typically has no neurological problems. Myeliomengliosia is the severest form occurring in one of every 1,000 births. For infants who are born with this type of spina bifida, the spinal cord does not form. And a portion of the undeveloped cord protrudes through the back. A sac containing cerebral spinal fluid and blood vessels surrounds that protruding cord, which is not covered by skin. So all nerves and tissues are exposed. Between 70 and 90% of infants born with myeliomengliosela also experience hydrocephalus due to the, ba- uh, the deficit at the base of the skull. Um, and unfortunately, infants born with this often have full paralysis and weakness below the level of the spinal region, problems with bladder and bowel function, and upper trunk extremity uh, difficulties. So that one, um, the spinal cord is actually on the outside of the body um, mm-hmm. and is exposed to the elements. Um, the other one is super not as common. It just has some infection surrounding the spinal cord. But spina bifida occulta actually occurs often enough that we know some people who have spina bifida. And I'm going to tell you who they are. Do you happen to know any famous people with spina bifida? I don't. This is going to be interesting. I want to know. Okay. This is great. I, I can see you. him right now. And I'm actually, this is, this is pretty cool. So Frida Kahlo who is a very famous artist, was born with spina bifida occulta, as was Hank Williams Jr. and Sr. So is it, so is there, that must mean there's some possibility for genetic traits? I don't know. Is there, is it genetic? Did any, did either of your parents have any issues with spina bifida when you, that you know of? So it can be genetic. Um, Okay. Yeah. But the reason I have it is it's also a lack of folic acid. 
Um, oh, fuck. Yeah. So did your mom not know she was pregnant? Um, I recently asked my dad about this actually like two days ago and he was like, she just refused to take any vitamins. She just, mm, yeah, Do you have any- <laughs> she said she knew what she was doing, but no, I made a face. sorry, no. <laughs> I made the doubt that doubt meme that where that kid's looking at you like the fuck <laughs> I made. Yeah. Face. Um, do you have siblings? I do. I, um, have one sister. Who older or younger or, but she, she was just fine. So, and, and there's no chance of her having like undiagnosed or just unsymptom, like symptomless spina bifida that, you know, Nope. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So you have grown up with this. This has been present since you were a little girl. Um, I'm sure that it, were you in a wheelchair when you were in elementary school, junior high, high school, or when did the wheelchair and the cane come into play? Um, honestly, I just powered through it as a kid. Um, I did use a wheelchair after back surgeries a lot because it was just, there was a lot of weakness and trying to recover. And I had a walker for a minute in junior high, but the wheelchair has been probably within the last for long distances, I've used it for a long time, but, um, now I would say the last six ish years I've used it for more than that. Like just going into the grocery store, things like that. Is it because of weakness or pain? Both. Um, I, and stamina, I just, I get, I get so tired so easy, easily. And, Um, although I don't have feeling in my legs, I can tell that my legs are tired and it slows me down. Um, walk if you don't feel your legs. I don't know. Um, I have to see the ground. (laughs) Um, just do it. I just know how. Yeah. (laughs) So you have no feeling in either leg. Absolutely no feeling. Yeah. I've broken bones. I've like, and not. Like usually when I fall and um, I land weird, I'll go to the hospital just to or the just ER you know just to make what sure. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. How high up? How high up does the lack of feeling go? Um, my hip on one side and my knee on the other. Is it slowly getting higher? No, no, just okay. kind of the same. But it's it is just I think getting older and like really. The, the way that a physical therapist told me was like, if you, if you just keep driving this car and not giving it a rest, then it's going to get old fast. Like, right. so you need to use your wheelchair more. So he's like, okay, we'll do that. Speaking of driving cars, you can't feel your legs. Do you drive? I do. I have hand controls in my car. Shit, yeah. You have hand controls. Okay. So you don't yeah. have to use a gas pedal or brake pedal on your feet. Nope. How was that hard to to switch over? Or have you always used hands? Uh, I've always used them. Yeah, because fantastic. Yeah, it's oh, it's really cool, and I I love it. I got like a little suicide knob on my steering wheel, and then the little <laughs> like it's like a joystick on the other side. Nice. <laughs> Is it hard to find vehicles? Like, do they come? Are do they have that vehicles like out of the? you know, off the lot or is it something that you go and buy a car and then you take it to a specialty auto shop and they install that? 
Yeah. So it's actually a mechanism um, that you have. So it's like this whole bar situation. So that sits under your steering wheel. So you have one bar that goes to the brake and one that goes oh. to the gas. Okay. And they both connect to like this joystick and you you push forward to brake and you pull backwards to accelerate and it uh, just uses the bars. Uses to the, do that. the bars that connect to what, what those pedals would have looked like initially. Yeah. Fascinating. Okay. That's fascinating. Yep. How did you meet your, uh, your husband? Um, we've been best friends for 17 years. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> you guys should see the smile on her face right now. <laughs> Where did you meet you? Um, actually through my ex-husband. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> okay. Super. I, I feel like that's another story that we now, but I feel like that's a whole other story. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how long were you married the first time? The um, 11, year, well, 12 years, but 10 technically, because we separated after, mm. after, or I guess 11, I don't know. I got married in 2009 and we split up in 2020. So, okay. Okay. And you have kids from that marriage? Um, I have one non-binary child. Yep. Oh, precious. What's their name? Their name is Vegas. (laughs) (laughs) Is it because they were conceived in Vegas? No. (laughs) I I have to ask. (laughs) So their birth name, their birth name is Carson. Oh, okay. Well, my great, I mean, that's still Nevada. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) My great grandpa could never remember their name. And so we said, just remember, it's the capital of Nevada. And so he'd say, how's that Vegas kid? Oh, my God. (laughs) So then they just changed their name to Vegas just to just, yeah, fantastic. (laughs) Um, And then you married recently your partner. um, And how was your wedding? Oh my God. It was so amazing. Our friends let us use their house and it was perfect. We had like 30 people there and I just, it was, it was so nice. And it was, it was the perfect day. Like I just, I loved it so much. You can see. And Vegas walked me down the aisle. Beaming. Vegas walked walked you down the aisle. Still the glow. Yep. You still have the glow. You do. You still have yeah. the wedding glow for sure. <laughs> uh, and and Vegas, your child walked you down the aisle. That's incredible. How yep. old is Vegas? Vegas is twelve. When you gave birth, was there any difficulties as far as the spina bifida was concerned? I could not have an epidural. Oh, ouch! Yeah, because I my spine is also fused down oh, where they where they do the epidural and they have to get in between your vertebrae and they could not get in between my vertebrae. So I did it all by myself. (laughs) That kid naturally. All right. Yep. Um, And you felt that I'm sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. That's good. All right. Uh, Okay. So what we're going to do is take uh, a quick break. Um, we're going to let you get out of the hot car that you're sitting in um, just for a second. You know? 
<laughs> there are so many people. Uh, we blacking can't be the windows down. When we come back, we're going to talk about what sex is like with a disability. We're going to talk about uh, arousal. We're going to talk about arousal and importance. We're going to talk about what it's like to have sexual intercourse with a disability, specifically spinifida, um, and some myths surrounding arousal and sexual activity among individuals with a disability. Four Sons Brewing has been creating authentic craft beers, unique seltzers, and family-friendly locations throughout Huntington Beach. They are a pillar of our community, and we hope they become a staple in your home. Find them in Costco, Total Wine and Spirits, or online at foursonsbrewing.com, and by visiting one of their three locations. Make sure to tell them Ashley at What's Your Position sent you. Stay safe, stay kind, Stay sexy and cheers. Welcome back, fellow humans, to our full frontal with Brittany, all about sex and spina bifida. Uh, we are going to begin this next discussion about talking about one of my favorite topics, fucking, um, because that's why we're all here, is to talk about the sex, right? Like, great, we love just dissecting the hard stuff first, but here's the juice, here's the meat. We're going to talk about boning 
with a disability. And I think that this is an extremely important conversation because I don't know if I've ever heard anyone with a disability talk about orgasm, pleasure, sex, what it's like to have sex when you have a disability. So we're going to fucking, I hope you're ready. Are you ready? We're ready. She says she's ready. I don't know. Some of the biggest myths about disabled people is that they do not want, nor do they value pleasure. It's as if we've decided that an individual with a disability has much more on their mind and on their plate than sex. So they've decided to put sex on either a back burner or just remove it from the kitchen entirely because they have so much else to deal with that they can't possibly be bothered with this tiny little thing we call, I don't know, fucking sex, the thing that's in the human needs uh, at the very base of all human needs. Society tends to objectify and dehumanize people with disabilities, and we do not think that disabled people have the same needs, wants, and desires as able-bodied people. These misbeliefs can have harmful consequences. People with disabilities are often seen as not sexually desirable. Children with disabilities learn less about sex than their non-disabled peers. And there is a wealth of research about the sexual health of people with disparities, both in the fact that they are more prone to having sex uh, that they don't want to have, so they aren't aware of consent, or they think that when they have sex, they just have to have it because it's the only time they're going to have sex is because they're disabled and they are not sexually desirable. They also are not likely to go get STD or STI tested because they have not had sex education. Some people with disabilities require constant caregivers, and many of those caregivers are not comfortable when an individual has sexual needs. And that means whether helping that person get into bed and engage in a sexual activity or purchasing that individual a sex toy so they can engage in pleasurable activities with themselves. According to the American Psychological Association, Tens of thousands of people who were living with disabilities in the last 100 years were sterilized without their consent to keep them from reproducing. And the legacy of this reproductive violence continues today. There are numerous individuals still happening now. Parents of people with disabilities are choosing to dictate their children's reproductive choices by either removing the ovaries or getting their children vasectomies before the age of consent. What are your thoughts on this, Brittany? Oh, that makes me so fucking mad. Mm-hmm. Um, Do you hear about first of all, it's who were sterilized though, like back in the 1900s, 1910s, 20s, 30s. Yeah. But like it also it also makes me feel like <laughs> those people were ones that were like watching disabled people and like, hmm, they don't have sex. We're observing these scientific like this. Th- you know what I mean? Like this mm-hmm. demographic in really maybe disabled people don't have sex because they feel like they're less than right. because society has made us feel like we're less than and you're not and, deserving of pleasure yeah exactly so that that got under my skin if anybody could watch me while she's reading all that i was like mm, no touching her hand <laughs> people all right so here's some myths i would love to dispel 
Disabled people mm -hmm. don't feel sexual desire. Um, totally not true. I <laughs> I can just debunk that just by telling you I do feel sexual desire. <laughs> when, if you don't mind me asking, when was your sexual debut? How old were you the first time you had a sexual experience? I was 15. Okay. Which is along the same lines as most of America, 15, 16, 17 is when people have their first sexual experience. Um, and was it gratifying for you? Pro I mean, we're 15, so probably not, but like, did it, I mean, yeah, it's what it, what, when you're like I was 15. So, I mean, yeah. not really, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't, it had nothing to do with that. Probably not. Um, their sex organs don't work. Um, my sex organs totally work. <laughs> yeah, I have damage, but um, but there's but my sex organs work, all of them. So there are people who have paralysis below the waist, but our brains mm -hmm. are fantastic, plastic, wonderful, malleable and maneuverable devices. And so there's a lot of research that shows um, if the pleasure center to the genitalia is shut off, the brain will almost always regenerate a way for that individual to experience similar, if not equal pleasure in other parts of their bodies. Um, whether that be their hands, their feet, their nipples, their neck, their lips. Um, so a lot of times individuals who have uh, waist down paralysis or even people who are quadriplegic can still experience pleasure in their face, their head and their neck. Um, and some individuals can experience and achieve orgasm through nipple play um, and through sensual massage. And sometimes people can even experience orgasm through their fingertips. So just because someone's Damn. genitals don't work does not mean they are devoid of sexual gratification. For example, is your penis the only thing that you like touched during sex? <clears throat> no, I mean, there's a lot of different things that I think a lot of people can relate. A lot of erogenous like zones, the ear, like the earlobes, right? <laughs> the neck, um, your ass. Getting your ass slaps, one of my favorite fucking things. Yeah, it is. Uh, another myth that I'd like to debunk is that sex is always going to hurt someone with a disability. Um, I I have plenty of sex that does not hurt. Um, I'm sure it's on a case by case basis. Sex hurts for people who are able bodied. Sometimes sex yeah. is not pleasurable. Sometimes people don't fucking do it right. They don't use enough lube. Yeah. You're not coming from the right yeah. angle. You are using a toy very aggressively. <laughs> you don't have to yeah. be disabled to experience pain during sex. So for us to put that entire onus on the, dis the disabled community is fucking bullshit. Like communicate with your partner so that sex that's doesn't exactly. Hurt. Yep. And I think that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. There's so there. I mean, I think that is a across the board thing where communication mm. could enhance so many people's sexual experience, but people don't do that. They don't talk about what works for them and they just mm -hmm. assume, right? And if you, and if you would, you know, let go of the ego, have an honest conversation with anybody, you would find there's so many things that you're like, oh my God, I didn't know. And I mean, we've been together 18 years and I'm still finding out things that 
I didn't know. And then we stumble upon it or we talk about it and we're like, yeah, we're going to do that somewhere. The other day he didn't realize yep. that his dick hit my cervix. <laughs> yeah. 18 years that I've been smashing into her cervix and she's never like said, Hey, back. Hey, stop doing that. No, I'll just, <laughs> I'll just lift one leg. So that my cervix fills, so that like, his dick stops running into it. I'm yeah. like, I'll just accommodate. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, she has kept that from me for an entire relationship. It's like, it's so crazy that people think that the entire disabled community has painful sex or doesn't have genitals. Like, they're just like, they're Ken and Barbie dolls. Like, just no genitals down there. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's fucking insane to me. Um, here's a fun question for you, Brittany. Um this myth says it's a struggle to find people who want to date and have sex with them. Have you found that to be difficult? No. Um, I mean, there are definitely some people who it's not their thing and they have a slight aversion to it. But I feel like my connections that I have made with people more come from emotional first and then you know when you're in a relationship with someone or you're getting to know someone that way then obviously questions come up and you talk about sex and mm -hmm. I can tell you when I was first dating um when me and my ex-husband were polyamorous and also after me and my ex-husband uh you and your ex-husband were what ever waddle to the bathroom after sex towel between your legs <laughs> desperately trying to keep the freshly delivered load <laughs> from dripping meaning. down your you leg and onto your hardwood well worry no more people into your awkward essentials introduces the drip stick, um, or as I like to call it, close. the cum okay. sponge. Um, this medical grade sponge but, sucks up um, jizz before it sneaks onto yeah, your sheets. They, Visit awkwardessentials.com you know, today and use my and code WYP for a 10% discount. I'm very much they offer like, numerous products um, for all types of fun fluid. Keep your shorts around, semen like, free and use my code today. That's WYP and save 10%. And awkward the, essentials, the making was, bodily fluids less awkward. And it was, yeah, I can have sex. Yes. I have, I have a child, obviously. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It, yep. I can do it. But, and a lot of times, even like normal conversation with people, when I tell them that I have nerve damage from my hip down on one side, they're like, can you feel your vagina? Mm -hmm. Can you feel you feel when you're having sex and I'm like yes yes I can <laughs> yes. yes I can do you have clitoral orgasms internal orgasms both or neither um so the clitoral orgasms I've gotten better at because I I do have a loss of feeling a little bit mm -hmm. but like with practice I feel like I've gotten better Mastered it. with not better that's a dumb word I it's not a dumb word it's just a it's not an <laughs> inclusive word you have like husband Ken Weller said you have begun to master the clitoral organ yes thank you yes perfectly put um but I am very much an internal g-spot like that's how you can get me to come easy is mm -hmm. doing that though um prefer because I think I'm just going to, it's a blanket statement. Most women have an easier time with a clitoral orgasm than an internal. 
but it sounds like maybe it's the other way around for you. Yeah, it's the other way around for me. I do need stimulation still on my clit to, to be able to orgasm with an internal orgasm, mm-hmm. but um, just but to like, you know, get from the inside. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's coming from inside the house. <laughs> but actually, I mean, our, for the listeners out there, they're not the same, but they are the same, right? So, yeah, they're not the same. Um, but the G-spot, and this has this is rife with controversy, so anybody wants to argue with me, fucking go for it. I don't give a shit. Um, the clitoris is like six inches long. Um, looks like a it's bone. big. It looks like a wishbone. And the head of the clitoris, mm-hmm. uh, if you can imagine like a little, little peekaboo little bean that sticks out from the clitoral hood, that's the thing that everybody wants to touch. And that has like over 10,000 nerve endings and it feels great. The legs of the clitoris actually sit right by the labia. So the labia are also very sensitive. Um, some women can have orgasms from labia stimulation. And then the back side of the clitoris, which sits, I mean, if you could picture where the head of the clitoris is, just right on the inside of the human body, the back side of the clitoris can sometimes be engorged with blood, just like the rest of the clitoris is and the clitoral uh, head itself, just like the head of a penis. When a woman is aroused, the clitoris can become engorged on both sides, both the front side where you see it and the back side, which is sits inside the vaginal canal. And so certain types of penetration can actually stimulate the back side of the clitoris. So when someone says, put your finger in there and make a come here motion, you're not stimulating the G spot. What you're stimulating is the backside of the clitoris. So when women say they have internal orgasms, they're still having a clitoral orgasm. It's just the backside of the clitoris that's being stimulated, not the outside of the clitoris. And sometimes it feels even better for women to have an internal orgasm. And some women can have internal and external orgasms at the same time. Yours included. Hello. Mm -hmm. Those are pretty great, but they don't happen all the time, right? So individuals with disabilities, uh, another myth is that they can't orgasm. Would you say that you orgasm a pretty regular amount of time or regular enough for yourself that you feel like you have a good amount of orgasms? Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Nice. (laughs) I'm like one of those people that can like go back to back to back to back with oh, orgasms. Yeah. orgasmic. So, same. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Those are fun. Yep. It makes and, your partner and go, why would I ever be with anyone else? I can make you come multiple. This is amazing. <laughs> I feel like a rock star. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You, you feel like a hero as a guy. You're like, yeah, I'm the king. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I think it is. Well, you're not the only one, dude, so. <laughs> <laughs> so i think it is just figuring out like how how it works for you Mm -hmm. as you know it's just like anybody else like everybody's different (laughs) yeah as a person (laughs) as a human with a vulva and a clitoris you need to figure out what stimulation feels good for you there are some women whose clitorises aren't sensitive or who hate clitoral stimulation it's too sensitive There are some women who can't feel the backside of their clitoris because it doesn't get engorged enough or there's too much tissue covering it. There are some women who um, can't orgasm at all. I just ache for those people. We have a really close friend that is 
battling with that right now. Struggling. She's <laughs> she has orgasms on her own, but struggling to have orgasms with a partner, which is frustrating because you mm. want to be able to experience that connection with somebody. But um, you know, having orgasms is uh, not specific to the able-bodied population, and not having orgasms is also not specific to the able-bodied population. <laughs> yeah, a universal truth that it is difficult for women to orgasm, and the orgasm gap exists among disabled persons and able-bodied persons. So, um, so as an individual in the disabled community, and also someone who is in the polyamory community. Did you find that there was more acceptance in the polyamorous community of your disability than in the non-polyamorous community? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. I think that I found yes in the polyamorous community, but I think it's because I, I feel like in the polyamorous community, it's more about it's not what people think. It's not just like inviting people in to have sex. It was inviting a closeness and a relationship. I'm, I identify as demisexual. And I okay. think which for a lot of means you actually need a romantic connection in order for you to feel sexually aroused by an individual. So it isn't just one night stands, hookups, like gangbangs right. and swingers clubs. Like you actually want to be romantically attached, intimately connected to someone in order for you to experience sexual gratification with them, correct? Correct, yes. And I feel like because I was so specific about that in the polyamory community, there was a lot of acceptance because that's the kind of person I was finding anyway. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't really care about disability because they were also either pansexual or demisexual or somewhere in between where it was like they were just looking for some sort of connection and sex was just like an added bonus to that. Right. Individuals who are in the polyamorous community aren't necessarily just looking for massive amounts of people to bone. Um, individuals right. in the polyamorous community are looking for connection and they just have a lot of fucking love to give. And they feel like you know, I want to, um, I have a friend who is polyamorous and she's like, you know, I love making connections with plumbers and with tax people and with people who want to talk about baking and people who want to talk about sewing. She's like, I get intimately involved with female friends because we are in a book club or I get intimately involved with male friends because they want to go dancing. And you can't find that in one person. And so the relationships that form within polyamorous communities just tend to be deeper, more intimate, more romantic, um, more uh, intellectually based and less about fucking and more about finding out about who these people are and keeping them close. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's interesting. I would actually think that you would have a much more um, acceptance, a much more accepting community in the polyamory community with disability than you would in the monogamous community. Your mm -hmm. partner previous to this one, did he suggest polyamory or did you? It was me. <laughs> it, it me. <laughs> I, I, yep, I, I did I it. firmly believe that it has to be, doesn't have to be. And this could be ignorant, but it, it, in most cases, it has to be the female because I think a lot, I mean, we hear that a lot when somebody is swinging or in that community, they assume it's the guy that 
makes the call. Mm -hmm. But I think it, yeah, it has to be almost. It has to. Be I know what you mean. Back. I don't think it has to be, but I think that in order for both partner, because I think that in inherently, if you were to go to a cisgendered male as a female and say, "Hey, I want to fuck other people," they'd be like, "Okay." Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. But when do we start? <laughs> so it's something that is on their mind. It's a fantasy that like 98% of heterosexual cisgendered men have is a threesome or group sex. Yeah. So when the female in the relationships brings that to the table, they're like, sure. They are, it would probably be more acceptable for the female to bring it than for the male. Cause in 90, if 98% of men were coming to their wives and being like, I'd like to fuck other people. That's probably not going to go over very well in a lot of those situations. So when the female brings it up to how did your, how did your partner take it? Um, I think he saw it coming because I no was, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, I started developing feelings and like relationships with other people and just like things that I was missing, I guess, from our marriage and like wanting to, like you said, not one person can fulfill a hundred percent of your needs all the time. Um, and so it actually, the, what opened the door was me and my current husband started to form a bond and a relationship where it was like, okay, this is, I, I feel something for you. And, um, I, I want to explore that. And he was already kind of like our best friend. And, and my ex-husband was really receptive to it. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously there's bumps and things through, throughout the yes. relationships, but and there's bumps in all relationships, but there, when you add another human into the mix, that's a whole nother set of emotions. So yeah, there's bumps. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't just like open to just, I mean, we did have like kind of a thruple thing going on for a while, but then I also wanted to, um, see other people from other walks of life because at this point I had been with my husband I my ex-husband I met him when I was 15 and wow. so I was with him from when I was 15 and I was like this was 2019 after that so I don't know I was 21 no I was older than that um oh my god I was like 28 I don't know Math is not working, but, um, anyway, <laughs> you were in your, your upper twenties when you decided yeah. to do. And this. yeah, because I was like, um, you know, there's so many cool people out in the world and I'm just realizing about myself, like my, my self-worth, my confidence, um, and that there's a lot of people to meet and to get to know and, like I said, I was 15 when I first met him. So what did I know? <laughs> right. You didn't even know who you were, right? Yeah. You don't even know who you are at that point. Um, yeah. Another big myth in the disability community with sex is that consent doesn't matter. Um, and consent is probably one of the largest pieces to the disability community. And that just doesn't go with sex, but that goes with anything. Touching your wheelchair, touching your um, your aids that you use to get around, Um 
assuming that you want to be helped. Um, consent is everything uh, in, in any day life, but especially with an individual who is going through an able-bodied world as a disabled person. Um, and consent yeah. and sex to me are intrinsically linked. There is no separation of the two. There always has to be verbal, audible, excited, um, frequent consent fries is a acronym that I use, which is uh, frequent, receptive, um, engaged, involved, um, just constant. Like it isn't just you want to have sex. Yes. And then all of a sudden you're doing butt stuff. It's like you need to fucking engage and ask oh, consistently. Is it OK that I touch your tit? Is it OK that I lick your pussy? Is it OK that I put my dick in your ass? Because at some point the answer might be no. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Be consent, and just because someone has a disability does not mean that their consent is now null and void because they have a disability. And that ties into the other myth that they don't have a right to be choosy about their romantic partners because individuals with a disability need to just take what they can get, quote unquote. Ugh, gross. Gross what? is the fucking accurate answer right there. Um, That's just being rejected <laughs> is something that happens in everyday life. Um, so I'm sure that you have dealt with rejection in your life, Brittany, when it comes to online dating, when it comes to polyamory, when it comes to any part of your daily life. I, too, have felt the burden of rejection. It hurts. It stings. It does not feel good. If you're not attracted to someone, you shouldn't fuck that person. If you're not attracted to someone, you shouldn't date that person. No one should ever be taking less than their desired level of attraction just because they feel like this is the only way I can get off. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had an yep. experience where you felt like you were maybe um, taking, taking one for the team, quote unquote, because you were like, well, I guess I'll just do this. Cause like, otherwise I, I don't get to get late. Like, have you ever had that experience where you felt like you, didn't have the alternative to be picky about who you were sleeping with? Yeah. Um, with an ex-partner, I feel like I was told nobody's going to love you the way that I love you. And nobody will take care of you the way that I take care of you. So and playing on your, on your, on your disability to make you feel like yeah. they were the one that, okay. Yeah. And they, you know, they, I guess um, it just, it made me feel like that was true. And then, like I said, in my later 20s, just realizing that that's not true, that I am beautiful, that I am, I'm, I'm still human. And to like, I don't know if that was completely that person's intention or if they were saying in a, in a way of like, no one will, no one will ever love you because I love you the most. But to me, it felt that way. You know what I mean? Very gaslighting. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I I have had an ex experiences like that. And then just realizing that that's not completely true and like learning and getting other connections with people emotionally and realizing that I was demisexual mm -hmm. helped me. Um, I think, um, so I, I live in Utah, obviously, where the main culture is 
LDS or the Mormons. Sex is sin <laughs> and alcohol is illegal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, think I, I think I might be banned from Utah, FYI. <laughs> I might have been born there, but I'm pretty sure if they've heard my podcast, I literally, my face is probably plastered on the border and I'm probably not allowed to come inside Utah. <laughs> so pun intended. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I feel like I, so I was in that religion for a long time. Um, and I feel you were in the Mormon church. Yeah. I was married in the temple. You were sealed. Did you, uh -huh. wear the underwear? did you wear the underwear? I wore the underwear. Oh my God. Do you know? And then no, can I tell him really <laughs> quick about the underwear? Yeah. Yeah. Tell him. Okay, so whenever anyone gets married in the Mormon church, my mom and my, my, my dad were married in the Mormon church and then promptly got divorced after I was born. It's not my fault, though. They keep telling me that. It's fine. <laughs> um, but I know about this because my mom told me, and then I did research on it. It was like, what the fuck? When a woman gets married, oh, God, in the Mormon church, she has to go into a secret room. Brittany, can, can you confirm with me that what I'm saying is true. They go into a room. Yes. With yes. members of the church. Yes. Yes. And those members give you underwear that are holy underwear, sacred underwear that have been blessed by members of the church that other members have worn in their past. Sarah. No, no, <laughs> that's not true. Okay. So then my, that's that part a, of what my mom said was bad, was wrong. The other member. Okay. So these were your own underwear, but they had been blessed by the church. So you just go buy the underwear, like from where? Just the fucking church gift shop. Basically, yeah. <laughs> Deseret, Deseret Books. Uh, they have the special underwear you can go buy, but you have to have your temple recommend to show that you're worthy to buy the underwear. Right, and then you have to be dressed by these women, and then they pray over you before you put the underwear on. And I think to... they changed it because they don't dress you anymore. Oh, do it okay. your own. You so, yourself. okay. So it's a do yeah. yourself kind of a thing, but you still yep. have to wear these holy underwear during your ceremony that are specific to the Mormon, Mormon underwear. You wear them all the time, all the time. That's what? That's odd. Yeah. The underwear you wear, they protect as a, you. As a Mormon, you can't wear Victoria's Secret underwear. I mean, you could for a little while, but you you're supposed to wear your you found out your husband found out or something like that. It would be like you're in like shit. Like if you're walking around just wearing a thong, like that's not okay. So if <laughs> you wear so you wear your underwear. Mormon underwear protect you from the devil getting in and having sex with you. Um, the Mormon underwear protect you from bad things happening to you in general. It's like your armor. Like is how it was described to me, okay. like God's armor. Wow. Yeah. Are you are you still yeah. in the Mormon Church? Oh no. Oh no. No. <laughs> um, that's kind of what I was leading to. Is like I started to like like when I was in the church is when I started like developing bonds with people and like realizing oh. that I had more feelings for them, and also that I was gay. Like I like girls too. Oh, and okay. it started to make me angry hearing all the rules that were coming out and all the bad shit that the church had to say. 
And so I left and did what I wanted. And I shared my love with other people in a very loving way. Mm-hmm. And, and now um, you're happy with that. I was just going to say, and now you're happy. Yeah. And um, I had members of my ward, which is like your congregation, your people that you go to right. church with every week. Um, they wrote on Facebook that I was a whore and that I left the church so I could go be a whore. Okay. That is that is a sign of holy love. That's hilarious to me because that is the exact opposite of what Jesus would do. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Honestly, like of all of the teachings about so I was a super in super fundamentalist Christian church growing up. Like I I wake up sometimes with praise and worship songs stuck in my head. Like I'll wake up to holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. I literally just fucking freaked out every human being who's ever been to church. Like that (laughs) is trauma. (laughs) He just played applause. Why was that? I wake up fucking with praise and worship in my head because of brain hashtag brainwashing. Um, So I get it. I get where you're coming from. But the Jesus part for me, always, I always like respected him as a person. Like what a kind, what a cool dude. Like he wore sandals and he like snapped his fingers and there was wine available. And like, he was chill with prostitutes and he was chill with like all the dudes and he was hanging out with animals. And like, this guy seems like my kind of bro. Like I would like to have a fucking glass of wine with this dude. If he was still alive right now. Right. But everything that Christians and Mormons and Catholicism is doing right now is opposite. Um, opposite. Um, she can't hear us. Can you hear us? I can now. Okay. Yeah. Everything that Christians and Mormons and like, fundamentalist Catholicism, everything they're doing today is the opposite of what Jesus would have done. Like where the fuck did the WWJD bracelets go? Because all these bitches need one right now. Yeah. Yeah. Bullshit. So I, I just felt like so much shame just with religion and ability all wrapped into one. It was just, yeah, it was, it was no bueno. That's not bueno. Uh, the other myth that I wanted to discuss, especially because you have one, is that disabled people cannot and should not have children um, because either A, they can't raise the child properly or give them the appropriate amount of uh, nurturing that uh, an able-bodied parent could, or that they're going to pass the disability on to that child. Um, And while spina bifida can potentially be genetic, there are tests that you can get done now in today's day and age that can tell you if your child has spina bifida before they're even born. Did you get that test when you were pregnant with Vegas? Um, No, I didn't get that test. When when Vegas was born, were you at all concerned that they were going to be born with spina bifida? Yeah, I was. Um, Because like... Although the spina bifida that I have was caused from lack of folic acid, um, it since I have it, it is now passable to my children. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was worried about Vegas, and they actually had a sacral dimple like I did, and we did get the test done after they were born. Mm-hmm. Um, 
when they were about two years old, we got an MRI and it was fine. Everything was fine. It was just a dimple. So yeah. Wow. That's a crazy coincidence. (laughs) Yeah. I know. I was really freaked out. I was like, no, 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 no. Please no, please no. Um, it is a huge misconception that disabled individuals cannot and do not want children. Um, you have to find the right doctor to be able to talk about sex and family planning. So someone who is cognizant of your disability, someone who is well-versed in the disability that you have and is able to do research on your behalf. Uh, most healthcare professionals really receive little to no training on the intersectionality between disability and sexuality. So in addition to holding many of the same misconceptions by the able-bodied community, these clinicians falsely believe uh, that their medical disability is something that should be uh, the focus of their sexual activity and sexual activity should be limited or eliminated because it may cause more problems with their disability rather than incorporating it because sex high relieves stress, anxiety, depression, and pain. Can we talk about it? Doctors what do you need, <laughs> doctors need to see individuals as whole people. And many people want more information from their primary care and from their specialists about this disability and about their sexuality. So the medical office that you find, if you are lucky enough to have the ability to choose your medical professional, you should find someone who knows enough about your disability that they can make accurate judgments and include you in those medical decisions. Do you have doctors that you talk to about your, um, your sexual, um, like your gynecologist, your sexual experiences, intimacy, things? Do you have a therapist that you go to? Um, I have an OBGYN who is pretty receptive um, to my disabilities. The only thing she ever really brings up for me is I'm diabetic and So we just have to make sure that my numbers are real good. But she is, yeah, type one diabetes. (laughs) You were born with that? Um, I was diagnosed at age 10. Was that another, is that another symptom of spina bifida? Or is that just a random fucking coincidence that you also happen to have type one diabetes? Yeah, it's genetic in my family. My mom had it. My uncle has it. My, like, everybody had it. Yeah. (laughs) We got two for one there. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so making sure that your uh, physician is fully aware of your um, disability, the disability that you have, and the type of sexual relationships and the type of relationships you're having, getting STI testing, making sure that you're using protection and getting contraception that works for you in your disability, making sure that you're using the right contraception. Um, We're going to take a quick break, one more break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the best sex positions for people with disabilities and also a very cool company that makes able uh, disability aids to make
on fire, it's your heart's desire. Cause you're amazing, trailblazing, the spark is lit, the next bit. You know the drill, you're making out, you start feeling your way downtown. One of you wants to make a move to Cunnilingusville, but you don't have protection. Dental dams are hard to use, hard to come by, and condoms taste like, well, condoms. Hundreds of millions of people worldwide have STIs that can be transmitted via oral sex. So let me introduce you to Laurels, a first-of-its-kind product that provides protection, sexy style, and comfort. And it tastes like vanilla. Laurels for Protection are FDA-approved for STI protection during oral-based activities. And Laurels for Pleasure are the perfect cross between sexy lingerie and kinky toys. These thin and incredibly stretchy single-use silky latex undies are worn during fingering, rimming, oral sex, tribbing, and more. Head over to mylaurels.com to get your four-pack today. Be sure to use my code for a discount at checkout. What's your position podcast? All one word. And remember, stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy with laurels. Welcome back, fellow humans, to What's Your Position podcast. We are joined by Brittany, who is surrounded by my favorite things, our animals. Um, and so if you hear the cry of a dog or the meow of a cat or zoo of a house that she has currently, <laughs> uh, we are going to end our discussion today by discussing some ways that individuals with disabilities can enjoy good sex. Um, there is no single way to define sex. There's no single way to define good sex. Good sex is fun, pleasurable, a way to connect. It can be tender. It can be rough. It can be intimate. It can be frivolous. It can be a one night stand. It can be the 5,000th time you have fucked that person. And it can be just as great the first time as it is the 5,000th. It can be messy, it can be clean, it can be dirty, both physically and figuratively. It is certainly not limited to genitalia, genders, sexual or orientations, sensation, or physical ability. The movements and positions involved in sex can always be adapted and modified to work to your body. 
Pillows, wedges, toys, silky sheets all make great adaptations. Having a disability has got to be exhausting. Are you tired? Like, are you just tired of being disabled? Are you just fucking over it? Perpetually. (laughs) And, And it, it honestly, it wears on my mental health and just like, can I just say something about that really quick? Fucking yes. Yeah. Um, recently I've been struggling. I actually have started a TikTok on disability and my struggle with it. Um, but like I just have a lot of disability guilt of the things that I can and can't do and um so things like that in the community of, dis- of disabled persons is guilt surrounding the disability whether it be because you aren't disabled enough or you're too disabled yeah yeah and it's i'm on both ends of those spectrums <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um and i i just i feel like it, it wears on your mental health a lot and you just don't feel good enough and like it can my pain causes me big sad depression moments like it gets dark and like therapy definitely pain is something that is constant in in a lot of individuals and pain can cause anger um guilt and shame because of the anger pain can cause depression um i was in i fucking who the fuck cares about my stupid fucking knee but i was in i had a torn meniscus like uh, here i am experiencing guilt about the amount of pain i was in but it did it caused a a riff in the amount of sex i was able to have i had a torn um or a slipped disc in my back and i couldn't have sex for like six months um and that takes a toll i mean it takes a toll when you can't work it makes you feel not like you're not contributing to society or to your household. And then if you also can't have sex, you're kind of like, what am I doing here? Yeah. What is my purpose? (laughs) Navigate that with your partner. Uh, Back to communication. I, and I am very much an anxious person. So I do ask for validation a lot. Like I'm, I'm feeling unlovable today. Can you please remind me that I am lovable? Please. I said, please let me remember. Can I? Hi. Hello. Husband who loves me and tells me he loves me every day. Can you just tell me one more, one more time? Just, yeah, I'll just send her. <laughs> one more time. Love you. Yep. Here's a meme that shows that I love you. And then sometimes I'll get the meme and I'll be like, hmm, I don't know if I believe him. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing it because he knows he has to. Right? That's where my brain goes. Uh, I would imagine having a disability would make your believability of someone saying that they love you, um, that they care about you, that they're sexually attracted to you diminish because you're saying you, you, you love a person who's disabled. You love a person who can't give you what an able-bodied person would give. Like, do you ever come at him and like question him and like, Oh really? You love me? Are you sure? Like, like, are you ever like, overwhelmingly aggressive about yeah i don't i don't feel like i'm that way with my my husband now but i've been that way in the past with other partners like oh well i can't give you that so obviously you know go find it somewhere else and it was it was very much like that but um 
now I just, I, I sometimes Google like things like, how do I deal with this? And it's just a lot of knowing what I bring to the table, what I do, what I can do and what I do do to like uplift myself and to see myself as a member of society. And I have a good support system and friends that I can say, Hey, can you remind me that I'm valuable today? Like I've got like top three friends that I can text and they will send me a list of like, you do this and you know, you're, you're amazing at this. And I, I value our friendship. Having a support system is invaluable. Um, Yeah to anyone, uh, regardless of ability. But I think for someone who has a disability and who probably questions their worth, um, questions their, because society questions the worth of dis- of disabled people. And yeah. society constantly tells us that disabled people are a burden on our healthcare system or a burden on our economy, or they are not valued as highly as other members of society. So being in the category of disabled people, you have to start believing that at some point and having that support system to pull you out of that absolute bullshit, that absolute fallacy um, that you aren't worthy simply because your spine twists like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? Like, yeah. get the fuck out of here. I, I I don't know anything more important than a, a support system as far yeah. as um, any mental health or physical health condition is concerned. Yeah. Especially, exactly. one, that, especially one that is um, in, in, innate within you. Like, it's not like you are in any way you didn't get into a drunk driving accident that you caused and now you are missing a leg and so you feel like you don't deserve your friend's support because you caused this accident no you literally were born in this manner and have lived your life going through surgery after surgery and coming out the other side even stronger and even better but still every day require validation from those people yep that's fucking fair Mm-hmm. Let's talk about some uh, some fucking sex positions. <laughs> Let's do it. So, sex is something that every human being, able-bodied or not, wants to have. And so, when we're talking about disability, clearly we are talking about a very personal and a very um, subjective experience. So, please understand that the the positions I'm about to give may or may not work for you, but. These are just some ideas um, to engage in if you are looking for something new or if you are looking to try sex positions as a disabled individual. Masturbation is always going to be my go-to. I fucking love masturbation. I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a great way um, to discover your body and to figure out how to orgasm. Um, Do you mind telling the audience how old you were the first time you masturbated? Oh, yeah. Yeah. fifth grade I don't I don't remember how old you are in fifth grade but like same around the same for me yeah yeah uh, there is a website that is called Bumpin, B-U-M-P apostrophe N, and they are sex toys made specifically for people with limited mobility. So think foam rollers and body pillows that vibrate. 
It is designed to give people with limited hand or hip mobility the ability to use sex toys designed for dexterous fingers. The bottom half of the toy has pegs that can hold the sex toy in position so you can put the bump in and then get yourself to a position where you can self-pleasure. Face down fun. So if you have limited hand mobility or you have arthritis or carpal tunnel, this one is for you um, because it doesn't require the use of your hands. You'll flip onto your belly and put a pillow or a stuffed animal underneath you and then use your hips to create rhythmic pressure against your genitals. Um, you can also use uh, best positions for hand sex. So a category of sex acts that involves the hand, the finger, or fist play. Hands sex is hands down one of the most underrated forms of partner play. I think that we literally need to do more finger banging and jacking off of people. I feel like this is, has gone out the window when we were in like junior high. We were like, uh, I know. I, th I think we think done. of that. Yeah. When you're like, well, that's a lot of stuff you do in, Man. in junior high. And then you get back that's, to it and you're like, artwork. Wait a second. It's a mastery. Yeah, it's amazing. There's a lot more to it than you think. Right. So the sit and stroke, this position requires the receiver to assume a seated position on a bench, couch, chair, bed, or motorized wheelchair. The giver kneels on the ground so that the receiver's genitals are at eye level. The giver can stroke above or below the receiver's pants, depending on preference. Um, this can also work well for oral sex, so the receiver can stay in their mobility um, aid or move to the couch or the bed. Belly down bum boinker. The belly down bum boinker is an anal fingering position. The anus has so many nerve endings and also has many areas that can possibly produce orgasm for both men and women alike. The receiver is going to lay face down on a mattress or other soft surface. Depending on their mobility needs, the giver can lie next to them or position their chair so their partner's butt is within arm's reach. The giver should always apply lube. Lube is lube and anal sex should be hand in hand, pun intended. Uh, experiment with circling the entrance of the anus with their finger, pressing a hole with the finger or multiple fingers. The giver will be comfortable if a toy is used with lube. Make sure the toy has a flared base for any and all anal play. Yeah, that's that's a that's a big one because we have <clears throat> we have friends in the medical industry and nurses and work work in emergency rooms. And I guess that is something that happens quite often where something gets stuck. Yeah. Cause you don't and, have a base at the end of it yeah, and your right. anus is a muscle and it's going to suck that shit right up there. And they can't get it out. Face sitting is another excellent alternative for individuals with mobility issue. For this position, um, we recommend that the less mobile partner lies on their back in what we call the dead turtle. So you're on your back and you, your partner can straddle your face so that you're sucking their dick or eating them out. So you can be the giver as the less mobile individual. Or if you want to be the partner that's getting eaten out, they make these amazing chairs that have holes in the bottom. Right. So the partner can be underneath hole giving oral sex to the partner that has less mobility and needs to be in a chair um, in mm. order to be upright and experience the, the sex in the best possible way. Um, there's a great website called Nurex um, and Nurex has some great links. It's N-U-R-X dot com has some great links as well as Intimate Writer. 
um, just as it sounds, intimate writer, R-I-D-E-R, disabled aid for sex for couples with limited mobility. They make chairs, they make beds, um, they make toys. Um, they're very into uh, helping individuals with spinal cord injuries enjoy sex. 69 is a position that anyone with mobility issues can still experience, um, have the less mobile partner lay on their back and the more mobile partner straddle their kisser. Um, you can always do uh, penetrative sex. Sex swings are fantastic for non-mobile or less mobile individuals to just give over your mobility to the swing. Sex swings can bring a whole nother level of pleasure into the bedroom for both able-bodied and disabled individuals. Brittany, ever used a sex swing? No, but I've seriously thought about it. I'm like, <laughs> put me in that thing. Put me in it. We, you know, we've actually talked about making this podcast room into a sex room. <laughs> we don't have Hell to yeah! What else are we going to do to this room? Yeah, right. Sex like, room. It's turning into a sex fucking dungeon. Sex swing. Yes. Another really great penetrative alternative is called the lift and lay. Um, a twist on missionary. Missionary uh, variations allow you to make eye contact, which is important for intimacy, especially for demisexual individuals like yourself. Um, it frees up your hands so you can touch, rub, grab, twist, pinch, poke. Um, and you can also use a vibrator as well. Have the receiver prop their pelvis up with a bridge, a, a ramp, or a pillow. Elevating your butt during penetrative sex can alter, alter the penetration angle, allowing your partner to penetrate deeper and potentially reach the internal clitoris, which can allow for a internal orgasm. It also makes the anus more accessible as well. Some tips for individuals with limited mobility. The sexual preference of people is as varied um, from people with dis disabilities as it is for people who are fully able-bodied. So your sexual and pleasure preferences are going to vary based on person to person and partner to partner. You always want to expand your definition of sex. So know that it doesn't have to just be missionary one and done. You can have many different types of sex, oral sex, um, penetrative sex with your hands, sex with toys, mutual masturbation. All of these can be intimate. All of these can achieve orgasm and all of these can be integrated into your sex life so that you and your partner can have a more fulfilling sexual experience with or without disability limitations. You can use showers. You can use the, um, uh, more lube, um, use your mobility aid to your benefit. If you have a wheelchair, for example, use it as you would any other type of sex furniture. Your partner can grab onto the armrests while kneeling closer in front of you. If your wheelchair reclines, you can utilize that to your body for more positioned play. Don't shy away from sex furniture like, um, any sort of uh, positioning pillow or um, do you have any of these, any benches or any pillows like this that help you? Um, I actually have a shower chair that's really good for shower sex. And I'm sitting on the shower chair right now. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, and I'm getting ideas for and I'm right now podcast. I'm going to find my husband. <laughs> and, sex. and then lastly, keep consent at the top of uh, your list of things to do. So making sure um, that you're asking questions about their disability while you're having sex, not just can I stick it in your ass, but can I help you recline your chair? Can I straddle you in your chair? Can I put your cane to the side? So 
ex- like making sure that you are being um, aware of their disability and the fact that you're being intimate with them. Sex is for anyone who wants to have sex. <laughs> like, and not all disabled people want to have sex. Not all able-bodied people want to have sex. That's just how the fucking universe works. But just because somebody is disabled does not mean sexual desire is gone. Um, I think you are a great testament to that. I also think you are a great testament to all the myths that we've broken. And I would like to go ahead and give you the statistic of the day because Brittany basically fucking nailed it. Um, I told you earlier that 15% of the world's population has a physical disability, but what percent of the United States has a physical disability? The answer is 26%. Brittany, you said wow. 24. And Has been, you said 20. I know you, you did, you did the prices right rules. And <laughs> but the area, the region in which we see the most physical disabilities is actually the South. Oh, wow. So mm-hmm. the Southern States. Um, I want to thank you so much for being vulnerable and talking about your abilities and your disability. And I want to thank you for giving us so much of your time today. And it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of, um, I mean, you had to run away from cats and dogs and kids in order to talk to us. <laughs> and we've tried to do this three times. Yeah, so time to I just, I, I'm just so grateful for you and yeah. for your voice. And um, I want to, leave a little space here for you to promote anything that you would like to promote right now. I am a big promoter just of visibility in general. And, um, I, I would just say to promote kindness. I don't have like a, a, I don't know what, if you're asking like promotion on what's your TikTok. where can people find you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Sorry, I got confused. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a big promoter of kindness myself, so we'll come back to that in a minute. But how can people follow you? Okay, people can follow me on TikTok. Um, I have just started a TikTok there, so there's not much there yet, but I would love a following and ideas on things. Um, it's So it's B-G, so B-E-E-G-E-E, girl. Like the baby. 32. Nice. So girl, G-I-R-L? Yeah, G-I-R-L, 42 on TikTok. Okay. BG girl, yeah. 42. Cute. And mm-hmm. are you on Instagram or any other social media places? Um, I am. I don't do a whole lot of Instagram. I'm on Facebook at Brittany Galland, G-A-L-L-A-N-D. Um, but my... My Instagram is very sparse. I need okay. to get on that. <laughs> it's hard. I it's hard. I I have made a concerted effort to get yeah on and be on it more often. I'm really bad at TikTok. I'm much better with Instagram. So I completely understand your your yeah. And I'm sure with TikTok, I'll have all my other social links there once I get started on everything. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to because I. I've always been an in-person advocate for disability, but I've never gone online just because I think I've been afraid of talking about it for so long because it's like there's there's a lot of ways to offend people. And I've I've felt that like, oh, I'm not disabled enough or, uh, you know, those sorts of things. But now it's just like, you know what, it's 
disabilities are a spectrum, just like being a human is a spectrum. Like yeah. there's, there's so much to it that my story, like, and my feelings, they're valid. And I can, I can use that to promote visibility for everybody. So, I mean, a lot of people talk shit on social media and say, that's oh, the downfall. But I mean, you learn so much about other types of people. You learn about yourself and you understand that there's a lot of people out there that have the same struggles as you, or you realize yeah. that people that are struggling that you didn't realize were. Yeah. And it, or you know, that it, their struggles are so deep or that their struggles right. are so reminiscent of your own. Right. right. And, and I think it, you know, for as much flack as it does and there, it can be a wasteland. But I think yep. it brings a lot of good because it gives people a platform to you know, take a look at and, mm -hmm. and reflect and um, understand that there's a lot of knowledge out there that maybe they didn't have. So, um, yeah, go follow follow her. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, go follow Brittany. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I love I making friends. <laughs> we love friends. Um, so uh, speaking of following, you can find us um, on Instagram at What's Your Position Podcast. We're also on TikTok at What's Your Position Podcast. We're also on Gmail, What's Your Position Podcast at gmail.com. Um, we absolutely love getting phone calls at 513-696-SEX. If you want to leave us a voicemail, we will play it on the air. If you have a question, comment, concern, please send them my way. If you have any ideas for an episode that you would like to see, as a matter of fact, this episode was because someone asked me to do an episode on disability and sex, so I did it. Um, if you'd like to be a guest, I just had a phone call with someone yesterday who is now going to be a guest on my show because they asked. So I'm open to anyone who has a story to tell, anyone who has um, mental health, sexuality, relationships, love, life, anything in the car and in between. We can always find a way um, to talk about it. I'm here. I want to talk. I'm so excited for this season. I'm so excited for these conversations for people like you, Brittany, who are visible, who are beautiful, who want to share their experience with the listeners. Um, and I'm super grateful for our listeners. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Brittany. We love you. Big heart, love you. For, for I won't let go. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. So stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. I don't mind, cause we both know that we'll be fine when you can finally make it home. Because when Your Position podcast represents the opinions of Ashley Weller and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice and is intended for education and entertainment purposes only. Views and opinions expressed in the podcast are our own and do not represent that of our places of work. While we make every effort to ensure the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions, or correction of error. Stay safe, stay kind, and stay sexy. Darling, darling, you know that we are so down.